Joy comes in the morning. I'm pretty sure we've probably all heard that Women of Faith song. Towards the bridge, I believe, it goes like, though the, uh, though the sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. I'm trading my sorrows. And it keeps going. So I'm trading my sorrows for the joy of the Lord. And the Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We derive from the joy that is in our hearts given to us. Today, though, we're going to be talking. Yesterday, we learned a lot. We learned about the cycle of night and day. We learned about the cycle of joy and sorrow, of loss and gain, of grief and you know everlasting joy. And we sang the song, Joy Like a River in Our Soul, and we thought that a personal revelation is important for us to unlock this joy in the morning. The grace of God is necessary to sustain this joy. The sharing of the gospel is necessary to continue to sustain this joy that has come in the morning for us. But, as was also mentioned yesterday, that before the coming of that morning, there was, it was preceded by a what? It was preceded by... People talk to me. It was preceded by, okay, it was preceded by night. So, night and then morning came. So, we're going to, today's topic is something I titled The Darkest Night. The Darkest Night. Um, not to be confused with the movie The Dark Night, but this is titled The Darkest Night. We're going to be taking our text from the book of Matthew, chapter 26, from verse 36 to 46. And we'll also be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 22, from verse 39 to verse 46. So I'd like someone to be in Matthew, Matthew 26, verse 36 to 46. And someone else should also go to Luke, chapter 22, from verse 39 to 46. They tell the same story, but um, different renditions, should I say. So can someone read the Matthew passage for us? Please pass the mic to whoever needs to read it. Okay. Matthew 26, 39, uh, Matthew 26, 36 to 46. Matthew 26 from 36. Then come at Jesus with them unto a place called get to me and said unto the disciples sit ye here while i go and pray yonder and he took with him peter and the two sons of zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy then said he unto them my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto that tarry ye here and watch with me and he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he commented unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time, and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. 
And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples, and said unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand, that that doeth betray me. Amen. Amen. Can someone now read from the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 39 to 46? Luke 22, verse 39 to 46. I read, And he came out and went, as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow and said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Amen. Father, Lord God, even as we go into your teaching, we ask that you lead and direct us in the name of Jesus. Be with us, O Lord, that we would not go outside of your will, we would not go outside of your word in the name of Jesus. I ask for strength, Lord, even to teach this topic. I ask for grace for your children to be able to listen and receive in the name of Jesus, for it is in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. So these two passages that we have read, are they tell the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this was Jesus' last night. The last night he spent on this earth. It was his final night. And he spent it in prayer and in anguish. And this theme that we are looking at, looking at was taken from the book of Psalm 30. We read it yesterday, verse 4 and 5, where he said that we pray may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And in that moment, Jesus was facing his biggest travail. It's important for us to understand the anguish in which Jesus was going through and what he was about to go and face for our, for our sake. You see, Jesus is not what you call a coward in any way, shape, or form. I don't think there's any way we can look at the life of Jesus and say, ah, this man was a chicken. He was scared. Because this was the man who the storm was raging, everything was rolling about, and his disciples were afraid, and he was asleep. He was asleep. A couple of months ago, there was a powerful storm that was around. I don't know whether he experienced it. It was so, the wind was so crazy. I don't know if yeah, I think it was a couple of months ago, the wind was incredible. It was blowing. It was everything to the point whereby the, um, there was a solar panel on the roof, like pushed it right off. Like 
in our area, some people's roofs were just, you know, taken away, gone with the wind, as you say. Like, people's broken down, all sorts of things were going on. And I remember when the wind was howling. I was inside my house, and it was middle of the night, and I just woke up to the howling wind, and ah, what's going on? The wind. Me, I, was, I had a bit of a fright. And I'm thinking to myself, that was me in my house. The house did not blow down. Everything was fine. But I was there in my house. Can you imagine in the middle of the open sea? And it's not as if in, the, in biblical times they had, you know, titanic level of ships or any of big boats or anything like that. No, like regular rowing boats, essentially. In the middle of the sea, a storm. The disciples, their fear was understandable. But Jesus slept through it. Jesus had come against a legion of demons. Man said that uh, we are many. My name is Legion because we are many. How many of us have been able to face over 200 demons at once? Probably few of, or none of us can say that we've done something like that. Jesus had no fear. Simply ordered them out of the man. Jesus had faced up to the authorities. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, people that had human physical authority to lock people up. I mean, that's why everyone was so afraid of them. That's why everyone was always following them. Because why? They had or even religious power. But Jesus faced up to these people without fear. He criticized them when he wanted to and everything. The best most of us can do is type something on Twitter or as they call it, X today. So we write once more again, we say, ah, this leader is a very foolish man. Can you call, can you call this and that, that and this? If uh, DSS shows up at your door, say it, well, yeah, repeat what you said. Most of us will fall silent. Say, um, um, it was actually, you see, uh, when I was trying to type, it was autocorrect's fault. Or some other thing that we might say. But Jesus faced up to the authorities. But here, the Bible tells us that Jesus was in anguish. He was in agony. When I was younger and I used to, that I'd read this passage, some people would explain to me that ah, Jesus was, you know, he was, really, he was really torn up about what was coming, about the impending suffering that was coming his way. But you see, it's not like they are wrong, but if Jesus could face up to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the storms and the waves, the demonic powers of the hosts of hell, without flinching, without blinking an eye. Is it now, you know, flogging on the back or any of these things that will phase him to the point whereby his sweat will be as thick as blood? Is that what will phase him to the point whereby he would be in agony and he will, be, and he will say that his, his, his soul was in sorrow to the point of death? Do you think it was simply a physical thing that he was anticipating or bothering about if that was it then maybe jesus is not all that we've said he is or he's not all that is cracked up to be should i say but there was something more in that passage he said on more than one occasion he said that he said that father if thou art willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What is this cup that Jesus was about to drink from? What was this cup that 
had Jesus so much in anguish that he, he was in such sorrow and in such agony? What was this cup that Jesus felt such heaviness in his heart? I want us to turn to the book of Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah 25, verse 15 and 16. Are we there? Are we there? Okay. The Bible says, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel unto me, Take the wine cup of this fury at my hand, and cause all the nations to whom I send thee to drink it. And they shall drink and be moved and be mad because of the sword that I will send among them. Amen. Amen. Let's have some responses. Amen. Okay. Let's also turn to the book of Revelation chapter 14. And I'll be reading from verse 9 to verse 10. Revelation 14. Verse 9 and verse 10. Are we there? Are we there? If we are not there, say wait for me. Did I hear wait for me? I heard it wait for me, right? Okay. Are you there now? Okay, excellent. So, the Bible says, in verse 9, it says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Amen. Amen. See, this cup that we are talking about, we can go a whole series talking about the significance of the cup, but I'm speaking about mostly one or two aspects. So I just want to mention that so that you don't go everywhere. Every time you hear cup, you're like, ah, there's anger involved. No. But we can see here that the cup symbolizes a trial. Its cup symbolizes, in this case, the wrath of God, his anger, his immense anger. Anger at what? Wrath at what? At humanity and humanity's sin. Because that is the only thing that gets God angry. The Bible tells us that the Lord is slow to anger. However, what will make him angry is sin. Because he cannot behold iniquity. The book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 3, tell, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 13, I mean, tells us that the Lord cannot even view nor look upon iniquity. And the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, talks about how the Lord hides his face because of sin. God cannot view iniquity. And because God is just, God must punish iniquity. The, wrath, the cup of the wrath of God because sin exists. And here, in these passages that we have read, in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke, we see that Jesus had to drink of that cup. 
That is why his soul was in such anguish. Because the father whom he has been united with for all eternity, eternity past, eternity present, eternity future, for all anything that we understand, even before time existed, they had been united as one. Because of the sin of mankind, he would have to bear this God looked, who had said to him, you are my son, in you, in you I am well pleased. Who, has, who had said on more than one occasion how delighted he was at the son. He would now have to turn his wrath and his anger to that son because of man's sin. Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because why? In that instance, in that instance, he could not see God's face. Someone who has been with the Father now has to suffer a separation. I don't think we can imagine it. I read a book once by an author named Philip Pullman. Um, they call it the Dark Materials Trilogy. I think they did a series about it. But I read the book then and you know, these individuals, so there was them, and then they had this kind of like a guardian animal thing that they always had with them. And this thing, they were so connected to it that, you know, the animal could not go too far from them, had to stay around. They were always in, um, you know, discussion, in connection, and everything. And I remember one of the uh, villains, what they wanted to do was that they were severing, severing the tie between the human and the, you know, the guardian animal or whatever. And I remember reading the book when they were explaining the, um, the process and the anguish and the agony that both the human and the animal were feeling as they were trying to sever that tie between them. And the words that were written there was like, like the agony was so deep that it was something primal at their very core. As something was destroying that they could not even begin to understand whereby your grief is welling up from the inside of you and you can't even begin to control it i don't know if you've ever you know ugly cried before whereby you're crying and you begin to heave like you don't even know where it's coming from again you know when you're just crying uh, but then when you're here, uh, 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 and then you just keep it just keeps welling up wave after wave after wave after wave that does not even compare to the agony that Christ was going through in that moment. Because what? He was drinking of the wrath of God. The wrath of God that was meant for all humanity. And we read in the book of Revelations that those who are without Christ at the end of days are going to drink from that cup. But at the very least, they are drinking from it for their iniquity. Jesus was drinking for all of humanity. Every, including our own sins. The ones that happened before, the ones that happened, the ones that are going to happen tomorrow. He drank from that cup. That was the cup of wrath. That was the only thing that could cause Jesus to fall into such despair that his sweat was as thick as blood. That was the only thing. For what? For you and me. If we turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, 
chapter 5, verse 21. The Bible tells us, are we there? Can someone read for us? 5, verse 21. Corinthians 5 verse 21. For he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Jesus, who knew no sin, who knew iniquity was found in his mouth, was now made to become sin for you and for me. For you and for me. Sometimes we don't appreciate it. That Jesus went through the darkest of nights for us. His joy eventually came. He rose again from the dead. He defeated sin. And he will have even more joy when we are reunited with him. At the end of the age. That time is going to come. And it's going to be beautiful. But before then, he endured the darkest night. And Jesus has taken out of this. And then we have to ask ourselves that, okay, what then is our role in this? Do we all drink of the cup of God's wrath? Do we all share in that agony and that anguish that Jesus went through? The answer is no. Because Jesus has drank the cup of the wrath of God, we no longer have to drink it. We no longer have to go through it. We no longer have to suffer what he suffered. However, let us make no mistake that we too much drink a cup. Let's turn to the book of Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. The Bible says, I'll read, from, I'll read from verse 21. Oh, okay, I'll read from verse 20. The Bible says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshipping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said to her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one at thy right hand, and the other at the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. Amen. So what we see here is that there's a cup that we are going to drink. The disciples were told that you are going to drink of this cup. But it's different for us because we're not drinking of God's wrath anymore. Because Jesus has paid that price on the cross of Calvary. But there is a cup of suffering that every believer drinks of. 
Because we too must also face our night. We too also have some anguish that we're going to go through. Because that's the nature. That's the nature of the Christian life. In fact, that's the nature of life in itself. That's the nature of life in itself. The world is cruel. And the world is hard. And the truth of the matter is that we are not of this world, but we are in it. And because we are in it, there are things that we are going to go through too. But there are a few lessons that we can pick up from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and some things that he highlights to us that he opens our eyes towards that we should consider. Because you see, on the bright side, as the Bible said, where it says that weeping may endure the night, but joy comes in the morning, there is a morning to come. There is a morning to come. But let's just look at some of the things that we can learn from the episode of Jesus Christ in Gethsemane. The first is this. It is in our darkest nights that we rely on God the most. It's in our darkest nights that we rely on God the most. You see, the Bible tells us in the book of 2 Corinthians where Paul was speaking about a thorn that was at his side. And he said that he had prayed to God that God this stone from my side and what did God say to him God told him that my grace is sufficient for you that his power is made perfect in his weakness God wants the weak because his power can shine through them and it is in our darkest night the most because that's when we realize it a lot of us don't if you're living a life of luxury you don't realize that there's anything happening out there you don't realize that we need God. Whatever it is that we are doing, whatever it is that we are going, whatever it is that we are indulging in, we need his grace. And a lot of times, it is in these periods of pain and suffering that we can recognize this. That we can truly recognize this. In times of luxury, we don't. In fact, if we turn to the book of Psalm 30, where the theme of this program comes from, let's just turn there real quick. Verse 6. Can someone read for us Psalm 30, verse 6? Now, now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Amen. So you can see it there. It said, In my prosperity, I said, I can never be moved. Man, like everything is going well. I'm doing fine. Everything is okay. And we fall into this false sense of security that it's fine. There's nothing to worry about. And in that time, we can fall into disaster. Because then we forget the God that brought us there in the first place. That's when people forget their God. It happened to the children of Israel on several occasions. The book of Judges tells us, it said that when Israel was strong, they went and they made slaves of the people around them, forced them to work. But they forgot God and they didn't call on, to him. They didn't call on him. Another thing, another lesson that we can learn from this darkest night or from this period of, this period of pain and darkness that we sometimes go through 
is that it is in times like this that we receive strength from God. We receive his strength. From the passage we read in Luke, Luke chapter 22, the Bible tells us in verse 43, and it says, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Strengthening him. But you see, that's the thing about the strengthening. You may notice something about it. It says that when he strengthened him, he said, And then, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Meaning that the angel did not take away the agony. Let's make no mistake. That's why it's necessary for us to read that part. Because when you read that, he strengthened and said, Aha! My salvation has come. It's sorted. Nothing wants to happen. No. But what we can rely on is this. That God in his infinite mercy will give us strength to face whatever it is. Because Jesus was strengthened and so he could even pray more. Even if he was still in anguish. And sometimes that's what happens to us. We don't realize it. Sometimes God will strengthen us to give us the grace to carry on even in pain. But, but because the pain has not been taken away entirely, we suddenly think to ourselves that God has abandoned us. No. Has not. Because who gives you the grace to bear the pain? It's God. When we pray for strength in times of persecution, can you imagine how many Christians in the early church prayed to God for strength as we were being sent to the lion's den or sent to the gladiator's arena to be martyred. And then they got there. And it's not as if the lions disappeared. Not like God can't do it. He can. And in circumstances, he will. But it's not as if those things went away. But what happened instead? They were given the strength. And you hear testimonies of people who give their lives to Christ at the point of watching martyrs suffer for Jesus. The strength to face is the strength not to turn away. Not to turn back and say, I'm no longer doing this. I can't handle it anymore. When we're in that period of despair, darkness, we can call on God and he will strengthen us. Another lesson we can learn is one of humility. Humility. Humility and submission. Humility and submission. The Bible tells us if we turn to the passage we'll be reading in the book of Matthew, as we're reading, it tells us that Jesus prayed three times in, in Matthew's account. And the first time, he said that, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not, I, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus humbled himself. And submitted himself to the hand of God that let your will be done, O Lord. Said if this cup passed, if there's any other way to redeem humanity, if there's any other way, trust me, Jesus will have taken it. If there was any other way, Jesus will have taken it. If Jesus could snap his fingers like Thanos and 50% of the world population would die and he would say, okay, let's start again from scratch. Trust me, he'll have done it. Not because, um, you know, not because he does not value your life. But the truth of the matter is that what he was to lose, being away from God, from the Father, even for one second, was worth more than anything. Anything. So if there was any other way, any other way whatsoever, he would have done it, he would have taken it. 
Even if it meant destroying the world again, like in the flood. If that was, if that was what it took, if that, was, if that could do it, it would have been done, trust me. There was no other way. But further down, we read, it says in verse 42, it says, Oh my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Like contrast in the language there. In that on the one hand, it was like, if, if it pass. But on the other, there's a sense of submission that there's no other way to go about this. If there's nothing else that can be done, let your will be done. And in our darkest nights, there's something we can learn from this in that in that period of suffering and pain, it behooves us to in that moment submit ourselves to the hand of God and be like, God, I'm here. Let your will be done in my Let your will be done in my life. Because God can make things beautiful from the darkest ashes. I don't know what any of us may be going through right now. You may be waiting for, on the Lord for something. You may be going through some personal trial or tribulation. It might be something about career. It might be finance. It might be relational. It could even... But know this, that if we submit ourselves to the will of God, our joy will indeed come in the morning. Another lesson we can learn from the darkest night is it shows us who is truly around us or what is truly available to us. Jesus said in this passage that we've read, he asked his disciples In verse 36, that where we started, said, Then come Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go there and pray yonder. Essentially telling them, Okay, oh, let's do this together. Be with me. Support me. But what happened? In time of anguish, while Jesus was going through this pain, he came back. And what were, what were his guys doing? They were asleep. I slept off, sleeping on duty. And the truth of the matter is that in our times of we also see the truth around us. Who is there standing with us? Who is there supporting us? The people that you thought were your tightest friends in this time of suffering, in this time of wilderness, some of them might grow wings and fly away. And suddenly you don't see them anymore. And then suddenly you are trying to call them and they're not picking your call. You send them a message and it's just a one tick. You, know, you, don't get, you don't get the double. Or, you know, perhaps they even turn off read receipts. So they read it, but it's like you can't really tell. And then just move on. No one's answering you. Then you get uh, what the kids call it these days, ghosted. And then you can't see them anymore. It's in that time of tribulation, that's when we see this. And it's good. It's good for us to know. Because you don't want to be carrying, you don't want to be walking through life and be carrying people that are not, not there, who don't share the same vision that you share. Especially spirit. Especially spirit. And trust me, if you're going through dark times, the fake people never stay. It's not possible. But it opens our eyes and it tells us that, in fact, the only person that is in our 
corner. It's God. He's the only one. And it's in these times that we truly see it. And another thing we can learn is that it's in our times of darkness that we get to truly appreciate the good times. The problem of evil is a very dense theological topic that has been argued for centuries. The problem of evil, the problem of evil. And I'm not here to, you know, talk about it and all of that. But I do want something. The existence of evil truly helps us to appreciate good. Truly helps us to understand and see what good truly is. To understand that you could have done this in this way, but instead you chose a better way. And in these times of tribulation and of darkness, we truly appreciate the bountiful mercies of God in our life. And we truly see that when God brings us out of it, you're like, I've been brought out of something. I've been brought out of something. In conclusion, I just want to encourage us. We're going to suffer in this world. And I'm not saying it as a curse. I'm not saying that, ah, you go suffer. Mm -mm. I'm just saying that as a reality, it's what's going to happen. It's what's going to happen. We'll suffer man's wrath. Not God's wrath. We'll suffer man's wrath. We'll suffer rejection. We'll suffer persecution for the faith, for what we believe. It's true. People are not going to understand you. People are going to reject you. People that you want more than anything else to be able to get on with will push you away because you don't align with them. Man will put his wrath on you because jealousy, contempt, whatever the case may be, but you'll be seen as an easy target. I don't say this to discourage you. I say it because it's a fact. However, let's turn to the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 18. And someone should also turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. So Romans 8, 18 and 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Can someone read Romans 18 for us? Or, sorry, Romans 8, 18 for us. There's no Romans 18. It ends at 15 or 16, sorry. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Amen. Someone read 2 Corinthians 4.17. Second Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Amen. And even if you read the Psalm 30, it says that his anger lasts only a moment. What's, what we don't realize is all this time that I've been speaking about dark nights, darkest nights, dark, dark this, dark that, and all of that, we should realize that it represents less than a drop in the ocean of eternity for us. This light affliction that we are going through, all these things that I have said, is nothing before the weight of glory 
that we had been promised in eternity. Because you see, God is merciful, you know? Something I realized, you know how everybody likes to quote that passage of scripture where it says that the Lord will visit his curse upon the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. Third and fourth generation, ah, can you imagine? The third and the fourth generation, do you know how many years that is? The Lord will visit his curse. But then, like, everyone seems to just forget what comes after. Like, they just kind of push it away. And everyone just kind of, kind of forgets that he says that, but he shows his mercy to a thousand generations. And there was a day I actually just thought to myself that, oh, okay, let me just, quick math. I checked, I was like, okay, how long is a generation on average? You know, and said, I even forgot, some said between 30 and whatever years, or thereabouts, 30. And I'm like, oh, okay. So if I had to multiply that by a thousand, where does that go? And I thought to her, like, huh, that's, that's older than, you know, written history, if I'm correct. Like, the, all the written history we have, more or less, is older than that. And I'm like, God's mercy lasts through that. Meanwhile, third to fourth generations, give or take a century. Okay? Which is not to downplay what was before, but it's to understand that when you compare it to the mercy of God and what comes after, it's nothing. It really is nothing. And what is wonderful for us as believers is that we are promised this. Joy is indeed going to come in the morning for us. This light affliction is indeed going to pass and we're going to be showered with a weight of glory as long as we endure. What is beautiful or the bittersweet aspect of this is that those who are not in Christ would never really get out of this dark night. See, the world is full of sorrows, even when they think they're enjoying is sorrow. It really is. Because you're enjoying a transient, transient things. And it doesn't even bring you joy. It's just mere happiness or pleasure. That's about it. The money that you have, the certificates you pile up, all those quick dopamine hits, or, you know, start a YouTube channel and get your first million subscribers. You're so excited, like, ah, I've made it in life. Transient. Unfortunately, without Christ, there is no mourning. There is no mourning. And it's nothing about fear. The Bible, we just read in the book of Revelations how the cup of God will be drunk by those who have rejected him. It's to be drunk by those who have rejected him. which is an appeal for everyone to turn to Jesus. If for any reason you are not in the light, if for any reason you have not found Jesus Christ and you have not turned to him as your personal Lord and Savior, then there is no mourning for you. It's not because of hatred, but it's because of the simple fact that they have rejected the light. The Bible, the book of John chapter 1, said that men love the darkness more than light. They rejected the light. So when we say joy comes in the morning, and if I say that joy does not come in the morning for the person that does not receive Jesus Christ, I'm not saying that as a thing of, oh, I hate you, so we'll just withhold this thing from you. It's not that 
personal benefits to everyone and then I want to withhold from you. No, you must understand that not accepting Jesus Christ is a rejection of everything that comes with him, which includes his light. And so, we're implored not to be available for us and it's available freely it's freely available the grace of the Lord is free come into him Bible tells us that yoke is easy and his burden is light he's not looking to break us he wants us to come to him if we are if we, are, if we labor and we're heavy laden, because when we're in this world, what we carry is labor and heaviness. That's what everyone is carrying up and down. That's why everyone is looking, is looking for salvation in different places. They're looking for salvation in identity politics. They're looking for salvation in sexual identity. They're looking for salvation in corporations and societies and communities and all of these things. They're looking for salvation in all of these places because everyone knows that they need to be saved. But salvation comes from one person and one person alone, Jesus Christ. And so even as we close, I just want us to keep in mind that Jesus in his infinite mercy and his intense love for us drank from God's wrath so that we don't have to. Whatever we are drinking is, is diluted. It stays, it's diluted ribena or diluted tasty time. I don't know. Did any of us meet tasty time? I'm old. So... Okay, thank goodness. So it's, it's diluted. But it's what we read in the book of Revelation. It said undiluted. Because we are drinking from a cup of suffering. It doesn't take away from the fact that suffering is painful. And I am not overlooking anyone's pain or grief. But I am putting it beside what it could have been. If not for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Who drank from the cup of God's wrath for our sake. So who are we not to join ourselves to him in suffering? Knowing fully well that it's the last but a moment. And that for the all of eternity, we'll be able to sit with him in heavenly places and be able to worship him forevermore. Amen. Shall we rise?